You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. It's not every day I get to interview NFL players who are also real estate investors, but today I have that honor. I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Well Show. Our guest today, Devon Kennard, is currently a linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals, and in 2019, he was with the Detroit Lions. And on the side, he's been building a cash-flowing real estate portfolio to take care of his family when his football career ends. And he's here on The Real Wealth Show to tell us what he's learned along the way. So, Devon, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's um, awesome to have you here. I know that we have a fans among us in the audience who are really excited to hear what you have to say to bring together football and real estate, things that our listeners love. Um, so let's start with uh, who you are. Um, you, you're currently playing football, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm currently playing for the Arizona Cardinals. I just finished my eighth year, so I'm going into my ninth year in the NFL. I started out playing in uh, New York for the Giants, and then I, I went to Detroit for two years. And then um, the Cardinals, I just finished my second year, and I have one more year left on my contract, so I'll most likely be back in Arizona. And fun fact is I'm actually born and raised in Arizona, so I'm actually playing in my hometown. I grew up 15 minutes away from our practice facility, so uh, playing back home has been, has been very fun, and, and it's awesome being able to have family and friends close by. Well, for you to get as far as you've got, I can't even imagine what it takes to get to the NFL. It's definitely a challenge. You know, I've been playing football since I was eight years old and, and it's a dream, but it's even more surreal because I'm a second generation NFL player. My dad actually played in the NFL for 13 years as well. So it's, it's all I knew growing up, all I ever wanted to do. But it also gave me a unique perspective into what it was like being a professional athlete and how to handle it, what I was doing off the field uh, and how important that was in comparison to what I was doing on. Yeah, you're a parent now. You have two young kids, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's got to be, I just watched now, I'm a grandma of um, a two-year-old and they've got them enrolled in soccer. And you, it, it's a fine line between, you know, uh, having your kids not like something because you pushed them in it or, or they just naturally love it. Did, were you naturally, um, you know, inclined to play or was your dad pushing you a little? No, my dad never really forced it on me, but wow. uh, like it's, when I was a young kid and there's a, there's a Sports Illustrated um, article and a huge blowout where I'm on my dad's shoulders after he won the Super Bowl for the Cowboys. So I was four or five years old and he didn't have to push me. I, I wanted to play football, but growing up, I liked other sports too. So I, I think that was really important. I actually probably liked basketball just as much as I did football when I was really young. And as I got older, I started to get bigger and not necessarily taller. And I, and I was like, oh, I should probably stick to football. I'm not really a basketball body type. So, uh, you know, that's that's why I started to lean more towards football. But sports in general, growing up, I wanted to be outside and playing. And and it's, it's all I ever really wanted to do. Well, that's great. And the amount of discipline required. I mean, you know, growing up in Arizona, I'm sure you were out there on the hottest of days yeah, with all yeah. the gear on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that discipline and the hard work, it, it um you know, it instills a lot in me that is just like kind of automatic now. I think that's what's great about sports in general, not just football, but uh, I, I, looking at it and reflecting my kids, uh, I don't really know how to instill some of the lessons that sports do. So I'm like, I pray, I'll do my best, but I pray my, my I got two daughters. And I'm like, I pray they want to play some kind of sport because mm -hmm. it's hard to, the discipline, the hard work, the taking coaching, 
um, you know, the sacrifices you have to make, the challenges you you occur. I think all that prepares you for, for life. So um, I've been fortunate enough to learn so many uh, life lessons that that has, you know, done well for me off the field as well. Um, and it all comes from my football career and, and the, the lessons I picked up along the way. So coming to um, finances, a lot of people who succeed um, at whatever, it could be acting, it could be sports, business, um, if they didn't have a financial education or background in money, uh, it's it's such a shock when people didn't make money and didn't come from money and suddenly have it and oftentimes don't know what to do with it and haven't um, their conscious their consciousness around money hasn't elevated to whatever their craft is or their you know their expertise at, at work that provided that money so um do you see that a lot in your sport and in your life where um some of your colleagues just don't quite have the financial awareness of what to do with their money I can see it across the board, you know, being an athlete in, in, in the entertainment world, whether it's, it's other athletes or, you know, entertainers of, of all kinds of sorts or just high wealth individuals in general. You know, you, um, there's a lot of people out there who are so focused on their career, whatever that may be. For me, it's football. You can be, you know, a rapper, a singer. You can be, you know, working for a company, whatever it is. But if you um, and you come into a lot of money. And then what do you do with it and how do you manage it and how do you, you know, live your life? And there's so many things that come along with that, that people don't realize until you're in it. And being an athlete, it can happen at an early age. You know, in football, I was I was 20 something years old when I started making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there's um, basketball players who are signing multi-million dollar contracts and and aren't even 18 yet or just turned 18. Yeah. Um, so people got to really kind of think about that. If you're 18 and, and thrown $10 million and had all these 40 something year olds telling you what you should be doing and, and what you should buy. And then, you know, you're, you're 18 and there's the nice luxury items that you all, that you saw in, in music videos or in, you know, whoever you looked up to growing up and you want to buy those things. So there's a lot of different things that pull you so many directions and to have kind of, um, to not have that financial background, it's, uh, it's tough. And I, I, that's why I really propose, you know, everyone get involved in financial literacy and understanding it. And it frustrates me that the education system doesn't, you know, put a premium on that at a young age. Right. I know it's amazing. It's amazing that those aren't classes we're required to take of how to save and how to invest and where to invest in real estate. I mean, just the basics, owning your own home, your first home. Uh, but we are uh, certainly enticed to spend the money, you know, right. to spend it on. I, I always say it's interesting because I went to school at, um, in college at USC one of the best colleges in the, in the country. And I had to take general ed classes on the, you know, astrology and then the evolution of monkeys. And I'm like, I'm learning about the evolution of monkeys, but I didn't take, there was no general, general ed classes that taught basic finance and basic accounting and, and uh, you know, basic spending and, and, you know, the purchasing power of a dollar and talked about inflation. Like I didn't learn any of those things in school. It's something I had to learn on my own. Yet I learned about the evolution of monkeys. Um, I, I always thought, I always found that kind of fascinating. That's really fun. That is what drives me too, is raising financial intelligence. Because if you, 
if you don't have money or you do have money, but you don't have the financial intelligence, it, it won't last. It, it will, there are a lot of sharks who are going to try to take that from you. And I, I bet that's, uh, you know, you see that a lot too, when these young guys are, have huge paychecks. I mean, who do you trust? Who do you trust? And how do you even know who to trust? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that goes with with everyone. Like when you're in a situation where you're not financially astute and you're not paying attention, I think at this day and age in society, you have to make finances a priority. If you don't, you're going to be you either already are or you're going to be behind the eight ball. You're depending on your nine to five job, which we've learned this last couple of years. It can be fleeting with COVID and all the different issues. Um, if you're if you're just dependent on one source of income, if you're not being financially astute and learning about ways to save your money, ways to invest your money, um, what to do with it and when, you're, you're putting yourself in a position to uh, to not be successful. And I think it's like we've grown accustomed to being too comfortable with that. Like, oh, I'm just going to not worry about it. Uh, you know, I'm saving a little bit. I don't need to invest or I'll figure it out or I make enough. And it comes back to bite too many people. And, you know, that's that's something I'm passionate about as well. So your dad was successful. Um, did he did he help you with your financial literacy growing up? No, and it's it's interesting. I always say I think in a lot of different families and communities, but especially um, growing up in, in African-American uh, you know, communities, I don't think it was kind of taboo to talk about like finances like mm. um not like like normal it's out of pocket so to speak to like ask your parents what their financial situation looks like or how much money we have or or things like that um and for me i started to just know like pay attention to the decisions he made and and the stories that he would tell me about some of his teammates just in passing about guys he knew like a lot of my dad's life that I was getting older he was out of the NFL so hearing him talk about old teammates or people that are struggling financially and and I think he did pretty well for the most part but even uh things that maybe he could have or would have done differently and I, I kind of learned more through that than like him really describing the exact moves he made or or investments that he did well or didn't do well in. Till this day, I don't know the specifics of what his financial situation was or is. And and that's something I want to kind of change, um, you know, in in, a, in minority communities, but really across across the country um, and with you know society overall is we have to be more transparent in those conversations because what tends to happen is mm-hmm. your parents get older and then they might need to depend on you and you have no idea where they stand financially. And, you know, you're left picking up the pieces later in their life. Um, you know, I think it makes more sense to, to involve, involve each other and, and understand that at an earlier age, at an earlier age. So you, when did you start investing and I sound, and did you just choose real estate or did you um, try other things as well? Um, I first started, I started learning about it while I was in college. So um, just what to do with my money. I I dealt with a lot of college injuries that made it like a lot of people didn't think I was going to end up making it to the NFL, let alone having the going on nine year career that I have. So while I was in college, I started to worry about that as well. And I was like, okay, taking football out of the picture, what am I going to do with my life? And that's where I started learning about finance and, and taking it seriously. And real estate was extremely interesting to me because it provided an opportunity in my eyes that I can generate revenue, um, 
outside of my sport. So, you know, um, I, I started to formulate and there was actually a mentor I met who bought properties and he was a police officer and he's the one that kind of changed my, my perspective. He was a police officer and he was patrolling areas in Los Angeles and he bought his first property. And then that led into another one, into another one. And now he owns and manages over a thousand units in LA and his property wow. management company uh, manages almost eight um, 8,000 units throughout um, Los Angeles area. And it, it was one of those things where I'm like, if he can do that, and he started off at, um, with a you know police officer salary, whatever I can make, even if I only play a year or two in the NFL, that's going to give me a great head start. Um, and if he can do it, I can do it type of mindset. And that's, and that's what triggered me. So as soon as I got in the NFL, after my first year, I bought my first property in, in um, Beach Grove, Indiana, for, uh, with a partner of mine for $86,000. Uh, that was our fir first property, a three bed, two bath. And that kind of steamrolled into the investment portfolio I have today, which is primarily in real estate, but I do have retirement accounts and, and things like that. And, I, and I'm starting to dib dabble in more into the stock market and, and, and in that realm. But uh, my bread and butter is definitely the real estate. So how old were you when you bought that first property? I was 24. Um, my, so going into my second year in the um, NFL and I bought that first one and, uh, you know, the reason why people always ask, like, why do you, why do you invest out of state? Like I didn't know anything about Indiana, but for me, I'm really risk averse and buying properties where I was playing at the time, which was New York or even Arizona, the properties were more expensive. And I met and, and got connected with the gentleman who were, who was flipping homes in Indiana and to think I could buy a three bed, two bath for $80,000, you know, or $90,000, that seemed a lot more manageable and, and comfortable for me than buying a three or $400,000 home at the time. So, so that's why, that's why it started. And, and, uh, you know, I've continued to do that, uh, you know, along the years since then. That's incredible. It's such a young age to be thinking about your future, honestly. Uh, you know, so would you say it was the fear of potentially getting injured and, and wanting to take advantage of this opportunity that got you started young? Well, what's unique about being an athlete or I think any kind of entertainer is you might not be able to do that forever, especially being an athlete. Like I'm all, like I'm going into year nine and I'm an anomaly. The average NFL career is less than four years. Oh so, my gosh. Wow. So my, so my mindset is has always been, I want to generate as much money as I can while I'm playing in the NFL and use that momentum into whatever is next. So for me, it was like, how can I leverage the relationships um, that I can build while I'm an NFL athlete in the platform that I have and the finances, I'm a 23, 24 year old making hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's much more than most people my age can make. How can I leverage those finances and the relationships I can build through being, you know, an NFL player to, um, you know, to generate other sources of income? And what I feel is really important for athletes, but now as I've grown, I think people in general is what I like calling mailbox money. And that's essentially passive income. If I don't care what your day job is, if you can generate passive income in other ways where you're making money at night, but you're getting residual payments. And that's what I, that's why real estate is my thing, because I wanted to get to the point where I can generate enough monthly income that when I'm done playing, my family and I's lifestyle does not have to change at all. 
Um, you know, so I wanted to set a life, a life standard for my family and I to where this is how much money we typically need. And I want to make that or more in passive income. So once I'm done, like I know our lifestyle doesn't have to change and, and I'm not spending down my principal. That's where a lot of athletes struggle. They invest in the stock market or in other sources, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is your income stops. And when you don't have any income in and you're looking at the stock market and just speculative, um, you know, rising and falls, you need consistent cash flow to sustain your lifestyle or you're even or you're drawing out of the stock market because now you don't have any income. So for me, I can own real estate, have passive income coming in through through tenants who are paying mortgages, paying down my mortgage and I'm pocketing money and I'm, I'm living off of the, the income that I'm generating. So I'm not ever spending down my principal. So once I kind of realized that it was like, okay, how much do I need to, to, to survive and how can I get there in, in the fastest way? And that's, that's kind of been my mindset and, and what kind of really sent me down that road. And yeah, I mean, I kind of realized that after my first year in the NFL. That is the key, right? To be able to to be able to flip that switch and say, I could spend this money now. I could go buy that fancy car, take that amazing vacation, or I could take that money and invest it. And the cash flow generated from the asset I just bought will buy me that car or send me on that vacation. Yeah. So where did that, you, that's, yeah. that's really my mindset. Like I I've grown to like some nice things. Like I like, I like, a. um, a nice watch or, you know, like I want a nice car or, you know, different things like that. But the thing is, I want to be able to buy those things. I think a real flex is being able to buy those things with passive income, not earned income. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I, that's what I always preach. It's easy to make a bunch of money playing football, go buy something luxurious. Instead, I want to make money playing football, invest in something that's generating me cash flow in some type of way and then use that to go buy something curious. And, you know, I think that's the, that's the real flex and getting people to flip that mindset and flip that switch is, is really important. Yeah. And it's amazing that you figured it out at such a young age without really having that guidance. I, I wasn't sure because I've, I have interviewed people here before who have made their money in, in sports, but they didn't come from, um, you know, they, they came from a, very difficult and challenging situation and nobody they knew had any money. So they had no idea what to do with it. Um, I, I was, I just, I still think it's incredible that at age 24, you figured it out. Were you, were you tempted to, to do what your colleagues were doing and, and buy a nice car or like what, what kept you from doing that? Oh, you know, a funny, a funny story. I, I got made fun of my first year in the NFL because I actually had my high school car shipped out to New, New York, a, a 2005 Kia Sorento. Um, and that, that's what I drove my whole rookie season. And it's not that I didn't want a nice car, but I felt I didn't need it right then. And I didn't know how long I was going to be playing for. I was a fifth round draft pick in the NFL. And a lot of people thought I would play a year or two and be out of the league. Um, so I was like, I want to save as much of this money and and use that as leverage to do something else with it. I don't want to spend it on a car right now. So it's not that I didn't want the nice things. I just believe in delayed gratification, and I rather buy the the uh, buy the nice things on my terms instead of on, on somebody else's terms. So you know to be able to to be able to do that and and humble yourself in the in the immediate future for the 
for the gratification of later, I think is, is a challenge, especially in society today, but it, it's paid huge dividends in my life. And, you know, I, I don't regret it at all. How many units do you say you own now? So I now own 20 units myself, and, but I'm also, I'm not, don't know how familiar you are with syndications, but I'm in over, of course, yes, we do them. I'm in over um, yeah. 30 uh, private syndications, real estate backed mostly. So um, yeah, most, majority of my investments are in, um, are in real estate, whether it's my personal portfolio or different syndications. I use the syndications to diversify, especially while I'm playing, but still get dividends as well as participating in the growth of the of the funds when they close or refinance what, what have you mm-hmm. um so that's kind of been my strategy kind of balancing personal portfolio with syndications to generate enough revenue um and now you know i feel like i've reached the point to where i have enough revenue where my family's lifestyle doesn't have to change now i want enough to where i'm not only generating enough where my lifestyle doesn't have to change we have enough to save and reinvest solely off of passive income so when i so when i'm you know done playing the machine doesn't stop i have enough to live i have enough to save i have enough to invest and you know that's that's kind of the next goal and what i'm working towards now incredible uh i <clears throat> we own a home that we sometimes rent out for hollywood movies and um and photography and stuff and we actually had uh some of the top rappers rent it for, they were going to create some music together here. And our driveway was just lined with Rolls Royces, like, like the most expensive you can imagine. And I was so, I was so tempted to put a little flyer on each one. (laughs) Like, Hey, I want to make sure you're also investing in passive income, you know? And I thought maybe they wouldn't appreciate that, but, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, you know, the message does need to get out there. And have you thought about that, um, you know, educating colleagues and um, you know, other people in the entertainment industry and people, you know, and meet out it's, about? It's funny. It's funny. I'm, I'm actually kind of working on creating my own YouTube channel where I talk a lot about about that exactly, because I think it's it's a gap that needs to be filled. And I have a passion for it. And, you know, I kind of want to be a part, at, at least a part of the solution of filling that gap because um, it definitely needs, needs to be filled. And that's why I think the whole concept of keeping up with the Joneses is so dangerous because me and you can be next door neighbors and drive, the, our house looks the exact same. We have the exact same cars. You bought it with, you bought it with passive income off of investments and I bought it with earned income or I got in debt for it. So we look the same, but we're not the same. And for people to realize that difference, especially in different cultures and in different backgrounds, I think is really, really important because, um, you know, somebody can have a nicer car than me, but doesn't mean that their situation is is better than mine or vice versa. And Mm -hmm. I think it kind of goes on social media. I I see a lot of uh, posts and sometimes you see like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk and they're in like a raggedy white or black (laughs) t-shirt jeans and and some like uh, sketcher shape up shoes. And, and, and like, this is what a billion dollars looks like. And then, you know, you see, you see younger people making, making some money, but not nearly to that, to that amount. And they're, you know, designer doubt and, um, you know, you like what you like. So if the designer clothes and, and cars and that's your thing, then that's, then that's okay. But how you buy it's important. And another thing, when, when you buy it. So just being really, really smart about that and understanding that. And another thing I talk about is vices. Um, I've learned that 
You can't have too many. Your thing is your thing. So if you if you're a travel person and you like going to luxurious hotels all over the world, then then let that be your thing. But you can't be a travel person, a car person, uh, a food person, a club person, a jewelry like that's where it starts to get dangerous. So unless you're a billionaire and you're like, yeah, well, I, I guess, I guess you're, yeah, I, I guess you unless you're a billionaire. But yeah. I always say, kind of pick pick your thing. And don't let it be everything. You know, uh, some things are good left alone. But if there are certain things in your life that you hold a lot of value to, as your as your net worth, as your cash flow, as as your life starts to expand, then in, enjoy it in the ways that you want to enjoy it. But uh, the things that you can keep minimal, keep minimal. Well, and that's a big one. The vices, right? The vices can really bring people down, uh, no matter what. And the more money people have, the more they can afford those vices, right? Right. And uh, I've learned one thing, like you always hear, and I struggled with this when I first got in the NFL, like, don't let your spending creep or, you know, just because you're making more money uh, doesn't mean you have to spend more money. And this is an unpopular thought, especially with people who believe in that. But I found that to be extremely untrue and not real. You start to make more money. You start to spend more money. Like, give me a, give me a break. Like the, like, a year or two after I got in the, I, I was in college and I was living off of five or $600 a, uh, a month. Like almost immediately, once I got in the NFL, within the first year or two, I was spending a few thousands a month at, at least. Like, so the concept of like, you're living off of 60, so it doesn't matter if you're making like 400,000 now, like still live off of 60. Like it's, it's unrealistic. You're going to, you're going to start to make more money and you're going to want to go to the steakhouse and get the Wagyu instead of the, uh, (laughs) instead of the, you know, the, the cheaper steak, or maybe you were getting the chicken before and now you're getting the steak. Um, But being smart about that and being reasonable in your spending increase is the more accurate way I found to to say that is because your lifestyle is going to, increase a little bit as your your net worth grows as your earning potential grows as your investments grow and to kind of try to pigeonhole everyone into saying don't spend more than what you spend now i found that to be kind of debilitating in a lot of ways especially with within cultures that i'm familiar with so how do you do that then do you budget a certain amount for investing i mean if if people aren't don't aren't investment minded then they're just going to spend it, right? What else mm-hmm. do you do with it? But when you start, when you sit down and have a plan and you say, I want 20 properties or 20 investments by the time I'm 30 or 40 or whatever it is, and it's going to mean acquiring one every year, which is going to mean saving this much per year, then it's pretty exciting. Then you can check the boxes and see your growth and and uh, meet those goals and retire when you want to. I mean, that's that, at the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? Is having enough money to be able to spend time the way you want to and not, uh, yeah, not be struggling. So how do you, you know, how do you plan and how do you budget? Um, I, I try, there's like a number that I choose that I want to try to live within every year. I found very strict budgeting does not work, at least for me, because mm-hmm. life happens. And when you're making enough money, there things come up that you really do just want. You don't necessarily need, you don't have to do it, but when you're in a financial position and you're being successful enough, if there's something I want. So I feel like very strict budgeting that's super restrictive has actually failed me more times than I've actually been able to really stick to it. And I know some people 
live by it, a super hard budget. And if that works for you, I think there's, a, there's absolutely a way to be successful in that. But I found more success focusing on my investments and, mm. and looking at it from that way of like always just as much as I'm, we're all consumers. What are the things we like? What are the shoes we like to buy? What are like for women? What are the purse or the heels you want? The jewelry, et cetera. I'm, I try to make sure I'm that same way about investments, whether in whatever you're investing in, real estate, stock, whatever your thing is. Um, you know, a lot of people are into crypto and the NFT space. If that's your thing, by, by all means, I hope you're educated on it and know what you're doing, but, you know, by all means, but be just as, as overzealous in your investments as you are in your consumerism. And, it, and, it, and for me, I've become more. So I'm spending way more money on investment deals than I am in my spending. And it makes me really consider purchases that I'm making because I know what that purchase can do in, in an investment. Like if I want a really nice car and it's $100,000, $100,000 finance can buy me three properties in, India, in Indiana where I bought my first property. And then that property, those three properties can generate me four grand a month extra like and then it's like do I really want that car like that's (laughs) that's that's what kind of has helped me check myself more than anything Mm -hmm. is just being mindful of the choices I'm making because I found that it's not always the material things I want it's the power to know that I can buy them and you know I'm having a mindset of I can buy anything I want but doesn't mean I need to so, you know, you can afford anything, but you don't need everything. So what are the things that you really need need or want? And, uh, you know, that, that mindset really, really helps me. And I kind of take that approach more than I do keep track and I know how much I spend monthly and yearly, but I'm, I'm, I've grown weary of like, if I spend over this amount, I'm way, way over. Like for the most part, it's like, this is what I allot myself a year to spend. And I make sure I'm over that holistically giving myself, and I usually give myself more room than, than typical because things come up, especially once you start having kids. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So do you set aside 10% for investing or for emergencies? Or I mean, do you have any, any kind of budget like that? Or do you? Yeah, um, like for me, especially while I'm in the NFL making good money, I try to invest half of what I make. Okay. So so whatever that is, I say like half of what I end up taking home, let's say taking home, not what I make, because that's another thing I don't know if we want to get into, but NFL contracts aren't what they seem um, when, you know, we're the, we're some of the only industries that it's publicly disclosed what we make. Mm. Um, people see our stuff online and so-and-so signed for five years, a hundred right. million dollars. <laughs> and you think this man's getting a hundred million dollars and it's, and it's never that. But, um, you know, oh, no, I don't know how it works then. Ha- okay. So in the NFL, first of all, our contracts are not guaranteed. So, oh. so NBA that is. So typically in the NBA, if a guy signs for a five year, $100 million contract, you can assume he's going to end up seeing $100 million are pretty close to. In the NFL, it's not, it doesn't work like that. So a guy, a, a NFL player and an NBA player can sign the exact same contract. The NBA player is seeing 100 or at least close to gross. An NFL player will not. And the reason that is, is their contracts are fully guaranteed, ours are not. So 
A good example I always try, try to use is a player who signs a two-year, $10 million deal. That's $5 million a year on average for two years. What that deal typically actually looks like is a $4 million signing bonus. So you know once he signs on the dotted line, he'll get $4 million. A $2 million salary for year one pretty much guaranteeing all right he just signed for four and he's making two he's so he's going to get six and make it within a four million dollar salary year two no guarantees so what that team what that team the option that team has then is after year one with no guarantees they have the option to sign him let him play for that four or not to sign him to not cut him and let him play out his contract so play the second year to cut them and they owe them nothing. So they, so he essentially just signed a one year, $6 million deal, not really a two year 10 and are, or they can force his hand and make him renegotiate. So, oh, wow. Oh my so gosh. If it's not guaranteed, they could be like, we don't want to play you, pay you four this year. We want to actually pay you two. You can take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. So they have the option to do what they want that second year. So a uh, two year, $10 million deal, really is a one year six and then we're we're paid as w-2 earners we're um not 1099s or anything else so we're taxed in the highest tax bracket um so that ends up like in 2021 i'm going to be taxed right around 44 to 45 percent when it's all said and done state and federal and then and then our financial advisor or not our financial advisors our agents are the average agent um, fee is 3% of gross. So before we really see anything, on average, let's say it's 45, I'll see, I'm getting taxed, I'm not getting 48% of my money off top. So let's just call that 50%. So uh, you sign a two year, $10 million deal, it's really a one six and 48%. So let's round up and say 50% of that's gone. So you see this guy and you think he just signed two years, 10, and he's actually going to see three million when wow. it's all done. Wow! And and that's what people don't understand specifically with with football. So when all when it's all said and done, and you're talking about what that man gets in his contract or gets in his pocket and in his bank account, you can guarantee he's getting three. Anything beyond that is it you know is is unknown. It's let's see what the team says about year two. Let's you know see wow. what. Happens. So. That's a lot of pressure and a lot of uncertainty. <laughs> no wonder you would want to choose something with more certainty. Well, it, it, which is the exact reason why I realized that immediate. And I kind of realized that through understanding football, through watching my father. And that's why I immediately I was like, I want to take that money and put it somewhere else that's making me more money. And that's why I immediately got in the NFL and had that mindset because I, I realized that at the onset. So that same player now has $3 million they cut him. What if he doesn't get picked back up? So, so, you know, now he's got $3 million in the, in the bank, but he put most of it in the stock market. So two and a half million of that's in the stock market. He bought a home, put a couple hundred thousand dollars in the ground. And now he has to find some type of job to generate enough income to sustain his life. That's stressful. And that's, and that's hard. Or say, or maybe he didn't invest it in the stock market and it's sitting in a bank account. Well, by sitting in the bank account, he's spending it and also inflation. So that money is losing, losing value every day, regardless. So it's not a matter of if it's when that player is going to run out of money. And that's where guys, that's why athletes and entertainers struggle. 
because $3 million all of a sudden is not that much money when you factor in spending, when you factor in, yeah. when you factor in um, lifestyle. And then like, if you're investing that, all right, you put $2 million in the stock market. Are you drawing out to, for cash flow, or are you, do you get a job that makes enough money where you don't need that? Like, how are you, how are you, you know, making ends meet month out of month with whatever your lifestyle is? What about sponsorships? Is it, do players? I mean, that- I mean that, that helps, but mm-hmm. oftentimes athletes, it's, it's the people who don't need it, who are getting that necessarily. And, and I mean mm-hmm. that. Right. They're already know, at the top of their game. <laughs> like they're, they're making so much, there's players mm-hmm. out there that are making so much money to where they probably are going to be fine no matter no matter what like you have to be kind of like that's the good thing i guess is some players are making so much money if you're making 20 million dollars a year even if you're only bringing in half at the end of the year at the end of the day it, 10 million okay. dollars <laughs> yeah, like okay. you're like you're going to have to be doing some really silly things to be to be tricking off 10 million dollars annually um but those are the type of players who are getting the best sponsorships you know, who are you, who are you seeing on commercials? Who are you seeing, um, you know, with big sponsorship deals? It's Tom Brady, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's LeBron James, um, you know, it's people of that stature. So, um, you know, the, the lower end players who are the ones that like need the extra income, uh, it's not as easy to get meaningful sponsorships and marketing deals. Yeah, that makes sense. So where did you get your financial education? Was there a book you read or a podcast you listened to? How did you learn all this? Uh, it started with me in college reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Ah, that book has changed so many lives. That that stems. And then after that, I would say the biggest impact I've had when it comes to investing strategy is from Bigger Pockets, um, mm-hmm. a podcast that I, that I watch um I listen to a ton and I've learned a lot from that's a big way that I um, big podcast that's impacted me a lot. And from there, I mean, most, most of the major like big time books, Sue Zorman's the Robert Kiyosaki, Tony, Tony Robbins, money master the game. Um, keeping up with the Rockefeller. Like at this point I'm, I'm read most are, are there at least on my list to read. Because uh, you know, I just I can't learn or, or devour enough of the information. I, I love it at this point. And how do you find time to do that? I imagine you're pretty busy. Yeah, I, I try to I try to read at least one book a month, and I, I do a lot of audio books, so that's easier for me. I travel a lot and and things like that. So being able, sometimes I'm listening to audio book in the middle of a workout. I'll have headphones on and I'm listening to an audio book or <laughs> our podcast. Episode, so uh, that's how I knock out a lot. I do like actually reading as well, so I, um, you know, I'll, I'll read when I can, but that's sometimes harder, especially when you got two kids, three and three and nine months. Um, but you know, I, I figure out figure out the best uh, best I can and try to just make sure I'm always learning. Incredible! I and one of my, I just love hearing what you have to say, and um, with with everything that happened in 2020, and um, you know some things coming to light that uh, some of us weren't aware of. Uh, one thing that I became aware of is the homeownership rate of, of among African-Americans is so low. And, and I don't, I like, what can we do to change that and, and help people understand that it's not, you could get loans with just 3% down. I mean, it's possible. It's, it's possible for people to do it. I mean, what's, what's going to sh- shift things. 
I think a, a big thing that I, I always try to preach is, is the financial education, like um, to understand that it's not impossible and there's ways. I know so many people who like want to buy a home, find out how, how expensive it is or like how tough the process can be and then just bow out, not really trying to dive in and learn the different options they may have and, and how to get FHA loans and just the different options there are to buy properties. You know, they go the traditional route. They hear their credit's not high enough. They hear, you know, they hear the roadblocks that may be in their way mm -hmm. and they just, and they just, you know, kind of give up and say, forget it. And, and, and life is hard. And um, I think, kind of getting over that hump is really important and it only is going to happen by steady improvements. It's, it's easy to, it's easy to say, oh, I can't do it and just never do it. Well, there's steps you can take to move in that direction. That's going to get you closer and closer. And if you start learning and, and taking in that knowledge, then more opportunities will present itself. But if you just sit back, try, try to find, you know, a real estate agent one time, find out how hard it is and never go back to it. It's not going to just happen. Like what are, what are the things that you can do to increase your credit? What are, what are some other loan options what, um, that could work for you? Um, and I, I think that's like the biggest thing that people need to, to really take seriously, especially in minority communities. And another thing is continuing, taking, maximizing your skill set so you can increase your earning potential. Um, I don't care where you're starting at. I don't care what it is. Like skills get you paid. So develop skills. Um, mm -hmm. Develop a skill set that can't be can't be denied. If that's through school, great. If that's through labor, whatever it is, develop a skill set and the knowledge that's going to going to continually increase your your revenue. I think people across this country are getting too comfortable with the role that they're playing in their job or the title that they have or where they're at. They're not learning new skills. They're not learning new ways to make money and leverage that. And, and it's, it's detrimental. I think we live in a day and age right now to where you can, you can become profitable in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. You have young kids out there playing video games and making millions of dollars now. You can create YouTube videos talking about anything. Like I know there's people who are experts on Excel and just got good about talking about it and mm -hmm. make and have courses and do stuff on YouTube and make money. Um, you know, so there's so many different ways to, to make a buck, so to speak, but I think people aren't open-minded and aren't learning and developing the skill sets needed to do that. So I, I encourage people in minority communities to add value, find ways to add value to yourself and to increase, because by adding value to yourself, you'll eventually add value to your net worth and add value to your earning potential. But if you're not adding value to yourself, you're going to stay where you're at forever. That is that is some good advice right there. I, I, I just thought of my oldest daughter when you said that. She's 29 years old. She learned a skill, one skill, and it's email marketing. It's something anyone could learn. She, she learned it with a $20 an hour job that she had at a company and she just took advantage of all the education they provided. She was willing to take a lower paying job to learn those skills. And, and within a year, she, she listened to her mom and bought a house and made a hundred grand off that. But um, now she's an email marketing expert and she has new clients every week. 
and she's making more money than me at this point. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, and, and like that's a great example. Think about that. Like, who who would have thought? There's so many different ways to be to be successful and to make money. You have to figure out what you're passionate about, what you like doing, and what are you good at. I think those are three questions people need to to ask themselves constantly. And what's important is those things change. So that's why I say constantly. Like you have to go through that process all the time. What am I passionate about? What am I good at? And um, you know, what do I like doing? And when you can answer that question consistently and figure those things out, it changes. It, you know, you start to look, look at opportunities differently. And it's like, okay, maybe I can pursue something in this, or maybe I can can do this. Feed into those things, and that's what happened to me in real estate. And it's like. I never would have thought I'd be to the point, but um, you know, I just I, I, I had 12 properties that I bought cash. I refinanced and I bought them cash for 1.2 million. I refinanced and got 1.1 million out. So I now own 12 properties with $100,000 in the bank, um, with $100,000 in the grounds. And right. um, I'm I'm so for $100,000. Worst case scenario, net of all expenses, property management. I'm expecting to bring in at least 24K a year. So that's a 24% um, 24 return on $100,000. That's, that's great. But to top that off, the new the 1.1 that I just got out of the ground, I'm now going to buy more properties with. So I'm in the process this off season. That's what I'm devoted on is reallocating $1.1 million of money. But now I'm not buying the properties cash anymore because I kept learning and I'm more advanced in my real estate. So that 1.1 is probably going to be able to buy me 30 to 40 more properties. So like God willing, you know, when I'm when I'm back on your podcast in a year from now, instead <laughs> of 20, 20 properties, I think I'm going to have 50 to 60 and and uh, generating you know a ton more revenue and now i'm in a position where i can scale and that's i'm i'm, a, I'm another example of like your daughter i found a, found a skill i've been buying single family and small small multi-family units i started off buying cash because i had some cash and now i'm buying I'm using finance and i'm using the same 1.2 million i did and i can own 50 million 50 properties off of that 1.2 and, uh, you know, that's that's kind of my my goal for the next year or two. Locking in those low rates. How does someone as busy as you manage that many properties? Property management. Uh, for me, my key was mailbox money. That's how I that's how the term I really like using with uh, passive income. And although it's obviously not technical anymore because direct deposit and all that, but just the concept of every month or every quarter, whether it's through dividends, through my um syndications are literal, you know, tenants paying my, my, uh, paying me rents. I'm, I'm getting mailbox money either way that's coming up, coming in residually. And, you know, that's, that's by being able to do it that way by hiring property management, it's very low maintenance. I'm, I get to communicate with property management, make sure I understand what's going on. Um, and I kind of have a rule of if anything's over $200, I want to know about it. Um, make sure you get clearance from me. If it's under, fix it. We can talk about it, talk about it later. Um, and but you know, I budget budget for all of that. And for me, I pay them anywhere between eight and ten percent, depending on the city that they're they're managing. And it's worth it. I don't have to deal with anything. I don't want calls in the middle of football season when I'm trying to get ready to play a game about you know somebody's toilet 
need, need to be fixed in Kansas City or Memphis or, or um, Ohio or Indiana where I own properties. I, you know, I don't want to deal with that. Uh, so having property management that's local, that's managing that is, has been a huge help. Incredible. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. And when we do have you back in a year, <clears throat> I hope you'll have your new book. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm working, I'm working on a book now. So it'll be coming Good. out. Uh, coming out. So uh, I'll, I'll let you know. I'm, I'm in the process now, but I'm, I'm excited about it. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. I've always been a 49ers fan, grew up in San Francisco Bay Area, but maybe it's Arizona now. Maybe I've just switched. <laughs> thank you. It's, it's so fun being on and uh, I'll talk to you soon. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you'd like to get more education on how to build your real estate portfolio, along with referrals to teams that we've worked with for over a decade now that have helped our members, our over 60,000 members, build their portfolios by helping them find the properties, get them fixed up and manage them ongoing. Well, you can do that. Just go to realwealthshow.com. You can join for free and it'll open up the private portal where you get access to hundreds of educational webinars for free, along with referrals to the teams that we've worked with for years who have helped our members build their portfolios. Again, you can go to realwealthshow.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.